Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. academic calling Vivek Morthy. Dr. Morthy served as the 19th Surgeon General of the United States from 2014 to 2017. During this time, he discovered that at the root of many of our public health concerns, opioid use, gun violence, and psychological distress, is an overwhelmingly yet overlooked epidemic of loneliness. And together, he addresses what he argues as a public health crisis and offers solutions for how we can find our way back to human connection. In this episode, we spoke with Dr. Morthy about the book and the effects loneliness has on us. We also discussed loneliness in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic and what Dr. Morthy hopes we gain from this period of isolation and solitude. So joining us on the phone right now, we have Dr. Vivek Morthy, author of Together. And thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks, Michael. Good to do this with you. Of course. Um, so to start us off, let's start with this fundamental question, which you talk a little bit about in the book. Um, why do humans feel loneliness? Well, Michael, loneliness is a natural signal that our body sends us when we're lacking something that we need for survival. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's human connection. In that sense, loneliness is not too different from hunger or thirst, which are also natural signals. Our body sends us when we need food or water. One of the reasons it's important to recognize loneliness as a natural signal is one, it helps us recognize that this is something all people feel at some point in their life. But second, it helps us realize that this is not something to be ashamed of. Unfortunately, in the modern world, being lonely is associated with shame and with stigma. Mm -hmm. People often feel if they're lonely, then something is wrong with them, that they're broken in some way, or maybe even not likable or lovable. And it turns out that none of that is in fact the case that many people, myself included, have had many stretches in their life when they've experienced loneliness. That is just our body telling us that, that we need more social connection in our life. And so in a sense, it means that our, our system is working properly because it's detecting the lack of something that we need. And that's interesting that you compared it to hunger and thirst, because when we think of those, you know, obviously there are physical drawbacks if you don't get enough food, don't get enough water, you know, your body needs those things to survive. Um, and you would think that loneliness would really only have an effect on mental health, but as you talk about in the book, it also affects our physical health. How does that work? Well, it, it turns out that loneliness is certainly much more than a bad feeling, but people who struggle with loneliness uh, in turn have a greater risk of harm to their mental and physical health. So what we know is that loneliness is associated with an increased risk of depression and anxiety, but also of heart disease and premature death and dementia and sleep disturbances, and the list goes on. And part of the reason why this may be the case is that loneliness actually induces a stress state in our body. And when that stress state lasts for a short period of time, it may motivate us to go seek out a friend or to pick up the phone and call a family member but when it lasts for a long period of time, that chronic stress starts to have a dangerous and, and harmful effect on our body. 
In fact, we know that chronic stress is associated with greater levels of inflammation, which in turn can give rise to a greater risk of heart disease and other chronic illnesses. And so loneliness, as you talk about, it's this universal condition that affects us all. Um, but at the same time, we know that in society, some people are more introverted, some are more extroverted. Do introverts and extroverts feel loneliness in the same way, to the same degree? Well, introverts and extroverts are both susceptible to loneliness, and it really depends on their circumstances. You know, I do think that in the extroverted world in which we live, and by that I mean a modern culture that that is designed around a more extroverted way of living, uh, that it is, I think, a bit harder uh, for introverts because they, even if they are doing what they would naturally do, which is to tend toward wanting to get together one-on-one -on -one or in small groups or to have a lot of alone time, sometimes they can feel like they're doing something wrong, that they're somehow socially dysfunctional because they don't want to go to parties every Friday night uh, or hang out in large groups whenever they have free time. Uh, so I do think it can be a little bit harder for introverts, but the truth is that both introverts and extroverts can experience loneliness because it's really about the quality of your relationships that matter. It's not about how many people you're around. Uh, you know, if you can be surrounded by hundreds of people, as students on a college campus often are, and still feel lonely, as so many college students do today. And by contrast, you can only have a couple of people around you, but if you have strong relationships with them, you can feel just fine, not lonely at all. You know, the, the relationships that help stave off loneliness the most are those where we feel we can show up truly as ourselves, where we can be open and honest and vulnerable and not be worried about being judged or about losing that relationship. Those relationships where, where we can truly be ourselves are, are precious, and we don't necessarily need to have many of them in our life in order to feel deeply connected and fulfilled. So it's not so much about the volume of people, it's about the quality of those relationships. Absolutely, it's about the quality. And this is an important message to emphasize because so much of the messages that people get, especially young people in modern society, is that volume is what matters. How many followers you have on social media, how many people know your name, how popular you are in school. Unfortunately, these are not measures of the quality of one's relationship. And you know, if you look at the world, what you find is that there are many people who are famous and have many, many people around them and many followers and admirers, but who feel profoundly alone and unhappy. And that's because what they will tell you often is that they don't have the kind of close relationships that they want and need, relationships where they can truly be themselves. And if they had one, just one or two of those relationships, you know, that could make a huge difference in their life. So quality really does matter more than quantity when it comes to how much relationships help reduce those feelings of loneliness. But to, to really focus on quality takes, it, it takes an extra step and, and more effort because the messages we get around us are often quite counter to that. I'm glad you brought up social media because I wanted to talk a little bit about that um, and the relationship between loneliness and technology. Um, obviously, social media has taken up such a large part of our lives and day-to-day -day life, especially with the pandemic happening right now with people staying at home. Um, so with social media, these connections that are formed on there, you know, you'll have people who are friends, you know, 
have friends on the other side of the world that they've never met, but they have this digital connection with them. Is that an authentic connection to you? Well, it can be. It turns out that even when you have a relationship with someone, when you're not able to be together in person, if you've established a kind of connection where you can share openly, where you can truly be authentic with one another, that can be a very fulfilling relationship. And it's especially relevant, you know, during the time of COVID-19, when many people are asked to physically distance themselves from one another. And the question is, is that going to lead to deeper loneliness? Well, it could, but only if we allow physical distancing to translate into social distancing. On the other hand, if we use technology in ways to connect to people such that we can have open, honest conversation with people that we care about, uh, such that we can spend time talking about the things that matter uh, to us, then it turns out that, that technology use, even when we can't see other people face-to-face, -face, can be quite powerful and can really strengthen relationships. So the question with technology is not, is technology good or bad? It's how are we using technology? Are we using it to strengthen high-quality relationships, or are we using it to in ways that may inadvertently be diluting the quality of our relationships or actually adversely impacting our connection with self. And there are a few ways in which this happens. So one, if we are just spending so much time on our devices, let's say on social media, such that our time one-on-one -on -one or in small groups having quality conversation with people is diminished, then that crowding out effect can make us feel more lonely. Also, if we find that we're allowing technology to creep into our conversations, such that we're multitasking more, checking Instagram, checking our inbox, Googling questions that come into our head, looking at the score on the basketball game, all while we're talking to other people, then that can dilute the quality of our interactions and also in the end, leave us feeling less connected than they otherwise could be. There's one last way though, in which social media and technology in general can adversely impact our relationships, which is worth being mindful of. If we, if we use social media to, uh, you know, a lot, what we'll typically find is that the experience of surfing through other people's feeds uh, is, can often be a challenging one because social media actually dramatically accelerates the culture of comparison that exists in society. And this is a culture where I'm seeing elements of people's lives all the time, which are often highly curated and selected, and they represent really people's best moments often uh, in their days. And I'm comparing that to my own life, to my average days, and I often come up short. And many people have this experience, but I worry in particularly about, about young people whose identities are being developed and formed, and for whom these messages that constantly tell them that their experience of life isn't good enough and that they're not thin enough, good looking enough, smart enough, rich enough, popular enough. As they hear that again and again, the message they take away is simply that they are not enough. And the reason this is so important is because our connection to ourself is based on knowing that we have worth and value. It's about knowing that we're enough. And when we approach other people from a place of of centeredness and groundedness from knowing what our worth and value is, then the interactions are often better because we're often able to listen more deeply 
and to focus on what someone else is saying and to be more fully present and to share openly as opposed to constantly being worried about how we're being perceived and seeking validation in our interactions and always trying to curate who we are uh, to what we think the other person wants. And it's in that way that our connection to self is the foundation for connecting to other people. So if we allow technology to take us away from high quality interactions and to dilute our engagements with others and to erode our sense of self and our sense of self-worth, then we'll find that it can be a hindrance and a serious impediment to us connecting with others and instead will contribute to loneliness. Yeah, I do think one of the really nice things about this um, quarantine that's happened is that people have really found ways to use technology to form, you know, find new ways of connecting with each other. Maybe, you know, you have the weekday bingo night with friends virtually that you, you know, might not have had otherwise. It's kind of forced us to pause, take a moment, and really spend more time on those connections, even if it is virtually. Um, but the thing I wonder with that is, do you, one, do you see that having an effect on how we interact with each other in the future? Do you think we'll be more, we'll tend to have more of these virtual interactions than in person? And do you think there is something that, if so, is lost in not having as many physical in-person connections? Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. I don't think that there is any full substitute for being in person with someone else. And I think that that is something that we are deeply missing during this time of quarantine. That's not to say that we can't substitute and get pretty close to it, especially if we're, let's say, video conferencing and able to see someone's face and hear their voice and appreciate their body language as well as the content of what they're saying. You know, that can get pretty close, but there's something very powerful about being in person and also extremely powerful about touch. You know, human touch is an accelerant of connection. It helps us feel more close uh, to others. It helps to, it helps to instill trust. And so we do need to get back to that. But what I hope will come out of this, this pandemic is an appreciation for the fact that we can use technology in ways to deepen connection, our connection with others, if we're mindful and intentional about it. I also hope what will, what will come out of this pandemic is an appreciation for how central and important our connections with other people are. You know, when we are cut off from others, when we are isolated, it doesn't feel good. In fact, it feels painful. Our relationships with others are not just an extraordinary source of joy, but they are an important reducer of stress in our lives, which is why when difficult things happen, so many of us will pick up the phone and call somebody uh, and or get in our car and go visit a good friend because being together, enjoying him in connection, reduces our pain and elevates our joy. And so I hope what will come out of this pandemic is an appreciation of that and a decision that I hope we all make to reprioritize people in our life, to recommit to our relationships. You know, if you're like me, then you've always said to yourself that people are the most important. My mother, my father, my wife, my sister, my kids, these are the most important people in my life. But it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to live by that. And what I've seen in my own life is that there's been a gap 
between my stated priorities and my lived priorities is measured by where I put my time, my attention, and my energy, which for many years have been far more on work than on the people in my life. And that's a gap I want to close. You know, if we if we focus during this pandemic on strengthening our connections with one another, on closing that gap between our stated and lived priorities, such that we truly do prioritize people and build a people-centered life, then I think we can come out of this pandemic more connected, healthier, stronger, and more resilient than even before this pandemic began. I do want to talk about the, the flip side of that for a second, because in the book you do talk about solitude and how, despite the fact that we're conditioned to be social creatures, solitude isn't always necessarily a bad thing, and we need solitude from time to time. Um, and one consequence of this quarantine has been that we've had quite a bit of solitude. Um, obviously, now that is slightly changing as things start to reopen, but you know, we may have a second wave. There could be something else that happens that kind of forces us back into this. Um, so in the event that that does happen, or for the people who are still isolating, quarantining, staying at home, what's the most helpful thing you think we can do with this solitude? Well, I'm really glad you asked about solitude because most people think about solitude as the opposite of connection. But it turns out that solitude, moments of peace and calm and joy that we experience with ourselves, that these are actually central to our ability to connect with other people. Now, this is not entirely intuitive, so let me explain why that is. It's because when we experience solitude, what, what's happening is we're allowing the noise around us to settle. We're recentering and regrounding ourselves, giving ourselves a moment to reflect on what's happening in our life free of the judgment of others and the opinions of others, We're just giving ourselves a few moments to be instead of constantly do. And moments of solitude like that, when we can ground and center ourselves, actually allow us to get more out of our interactions with others. Because when we approach others from that place of calm and centeredness, we're often more able to listen to them, to be fully present for that conversation to open up and share honestly about what our thoughts are and our experiences are because we're coming to that conversation from a place of groundedness and calm and knowing that we are enough. And when we approach others in that way, the connections are often better. The conversations are more fulfilling for us and for the other person. But in the modern world, moments of solitude have quickly evaporated. You know, the unplanned moments when you might be at a restaurant waiting for a friend uh, to show up, those might in the past have been times where you would just sit and think or observe what was happening around you or reflect on your day. But now we have the ability to pull out our phones and to use those few minutes to be more productive or to look at the news or to check social media or to entertain ourselves. So whether we're doing it for entertainment or for education or for work, all of that white space has been relatively quickly eliminated from our lives. So we have to choose to create time for solitude. But it's also worth keeping in mind that solitude does not have to be 
hours that we're spending in meditation or on a silent retreat. Solitude that can help deepen our connection to self can result from just a few minutes that we may spend sitting on our front porch and feeling the breeze against our face, or spending a few minutes remembering three things we're grateful for, or taking a short walk in nature, or meditating or praying for a few minutes, or listening to music that we're inspired by. These are simple ways to experience solitude, but they can be powerful in how they leave us feeling more grounded, and then ultimately more able to bring more of ourself to our interactions with others. I think that's excellent advice. I myself will definitely try to get some moments of solitude when I can. So these issues of loneliness in the modern world, how do they relate to children today, especially those in school? Well, Michael, I think the topic of loneliness and social connection is very relevant to kids in grade school and in, in college and graduate school. And part of the reason is that when I was Surgeon General and I was traveling around the country, you know, I was privileged to speak to people, you know, many different backgrounds about what was on their mind. And what struck me again and again is I was hearing about loneliness and about this feeling of just being isolated and disconnected that people had. And I was hearing about it from all corners. So it wasn't just the elderly who many people think are those who are the most lonely. But in fact, many of those messages were coming from young people, from pseudo college campuses, from high school students, from young adults who had finished school and were now in the workplace, but felt profoundly alone. And it turns out this is backed up by data that one of the greatest spikes in loneliness that we see across the age span is a fact among young adults, which many people don't expect because they figure, well, young people are so deeply connected to each other by technology. But again, it's about the quality of connections that matter when it comes to staving off loneliness. And many young people don't necessarily feel that the relationships they have on social media are giving them what they need to feel deeply connected. This matters for a few reasons. It matters because number one, we don't want our children to be feeling lonely because it is a bad feeling. Number two, we know that there are mental and physical health consequences of loneliness. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we are seeing high levels of loneliness among young people, while we're also seeing high levels of anxiety and depression. But third, it also matters because it impacts how children show up and perform in school. And when kids feel more deeply connected, they're often in a state of lower stress and greater happiness. And that in turn affects how they show up and how they perform academically in school. And so perform, we see this in the workplace too where how people perform at work is in fact deeply impacted by how connected they are. And in fact, people who say they are lonely in the workplace are less engaged, have lower productivity, and their creativity suffers and their retention is worse. So it matters for all these reasons. But we should finally just remember that we can in fact strengthen connection among young people that and because we are designed as people, we are hardwired to connect with one another. And it's what people crave at all points in the lifespan. And so this is why, as we think about school and education and what we need to provide young people, it's not just the ability to read and write, to do well on standardized tests and to secure a job. Those are important, don't get me wrong. 
What's also important is that they learn how to build a foundation for healthy relationships, how to understand emotions, theirs and others, how to understand social connection, and how to recognize that if they are feeling lonely, that it's not a source of shame. You know, I felt a tremendous amount of shame as a young person in grade school who struggled with loneliness. I never told my parents about it during all those years uh, where I felt jittery about coming to school because I was worried about being alone. All those years when I would every day walk into the cafeteria just with a sense of dread, worrying if there was going to be somebody that I could sit next to. But I was not alone. There were so many children and still are who struggle with loneliness but feel a sense of shame about it because the subject hasn't been broached because they don't understand that this is extraordinarily common. So I think that if we want to ensure that young people in our world are best equipped to lead happy, fulfilling, healthy, productive lives, we have to give them the foundation to form strong relationships. That means talking about human connection, it means giving them permission to prioritize relationships in their life, and it means for all of us who are parents, modeling the kind of healthy relationships that we would want our kids to enjoy as well. That reminds me actually of a story you tell in the book, um, this tragic story about a young girl in, I believe she was in middle school, who um, was socially isolated from her peers. You know, she nobody was really including her in anything. And then afterwards, when the students were asked about it, none of them had noticed that it wasn't a con it wasn't a conscious bullying effort on any of their parts um but it was this social isolation that this girl felt regardless of the intent of it so i feel like that distinction social isolation versus bullying is a distinction that doesn't really get talked about as much you're absolutely right it doesn't but as laura talmas the mother of lily the young girl who passed away um, shortly after middle school shared with me, she said, you know, bullying is an, is an active phenomenon. It's when something do some, it's when people do something to another child that makes them feel left out or estranged or less than, but loneliness, she said to me, is often the product of neglect to her daughter, Lily. No one was actively coming up to her and telling her she didn't belong or making fun of her. They were just pretending she didn't exist. They were just going about their life without inviting or including her. And that made her feel terrible. Laura told me that there were many days when Lily would disappear from the cafeteria because she was all alone and eat her lunch in the bathroom and call her, call her mother, crying to tell her how sad she felt. And that loneliness was a product of neglect. And so it's important that we, re we recognize that. And what was also extraordinary about the story of Lily and her parents, Laura and Ace, is that they took the pain that Lily had experienced and the terrible and unfortunate tragedy of her death, and they turned it into this extraordinary program called Beyond Differences, which now exists in hundreds, if not thousands of schools around the country. But it's a program that engages high school students in having conversations with middle school students about how to build stronger connections between people. It's not just about how to deal with loneliness if you feel it. It's also about how all of us can step up 
and take responsibility for one another, for making sure that everyone feels invited, so that everyone feels part of the community. And they do that in interesting ways, focusing on not just encouraging children to look out for those who may be lonely, but it also trains them in how to go up and approach somebody who might be struggling with loneliness. How do you start a conversation about sensitive subjects? How do you invite people to be a part of an experience in a way that feels sincere and authentic? How do you recognize that sometimes they're being aloof or irritable or angry may be in fact be a sign and a symptom of loneliness and nothing more than that and nothing less. It also even teaches them how to think about their body language during group conversations. How do you make sure you're making eye contact with others and angling your body toward people to help them see and understand that you're listening to them and you value what they're saying. These are just some of the many skills that Beyond Differences teaches students. But it's a reminder that the skills that we form in cultivating strong relationships with one another are just as important as any other skill we may learn in school. And what we may tell ourselves, well, isn't that the job of parents to teach their children? The truth is that many kids aren't getting that from home. They may not have parents, first of all, or they may have parents who are struggling themselves with their own relationships and with feelings of loneliness. And so what we provide them in an educational setting, what we're able to give them in terms of a foundation for relationships is absolutely invaluable. Absolutely. Uh, so one more question I have for you, Dr. Morthy. Um, since this podcast is primarily for teachers and their students, we ask this question of all of our guests. Who was your favorite teacher? Huh. That's a great question. Uh, I have been really blessed in my life to have had a number of amazing teachers. I went to public schools growing up in Miami, Florida. And despite having class sizes that were 30, 40 plus, you know, kids, you know, I was somehow blessed to find teachers who still managed to find time to make me feel supported and cared for. And I'm deeply grateful for that. You know, that was my 10th grade European history teacher, Beth Bagwell, who was a perfect example of that. And later in life, I was able to find teachers who who cared for me and stayed in touch and looked out for me. You know, like my one of my medical school professors, Howie Foreman, who years and years afterwards still continues to be a source of guidance and support and mentorship to me. Uh, and I consider myself deeply lucky uh, for all the teachers I've had in my life because um, my parents came to this country without real contacts or connections or wealth or resources. Things were tough at many times for us growing up, economically as well as socially. And in many ways, they put their trust in America, in society, saying that they hoped that they, would, that they and we as their children would find a welcome community that was willing to embrace us despite the fact that we had different color skin and funny sounding names and different culture and traditions than most of the people around us. And while we did experience our fair share of discrimination and racism over the years, I feel blessed that we have encountered so many others who have stood by us, stood up for us and supported us and none more so than the, the amazing teachers that I was blessed to have in my life. <laughs> 
So can I say that there's this old saying, um, or it's more of a prayer, I should say, in in the Hindu tradition, which uh, there's one particular line in that prayer that says, Guru Devo Bhava, which means, or roughly translates to the to the fact that we should look at our teachers and respect them as divine, as God. And it includes teachers along with your mother and your father as other people in your life who you should approach with the same reverence that you have for the divine or God. And that was always that was always put into our consciousness by my parents as children. But we were fortunate to meet so many teachers who who lived up to that standard, you know, who were protectors for us and guides for us and who looked out for us well beyond, you know, the the class that we attended with them. So I'm deeply grateful to the teachers in my life for helping shape who I am, who I've become, and who've given me the extraordinary opportunities that I feel so blessed to have today. Wow, I have to say, I think that's one of the most profound answers we've had to that question on the podcast. So thank you for that. Um, and thank you so much for a wonderful interview. This was lovely getting the chance to talk to you. So nice to be with you. And uh, I'm glad we had this conversation as well, Michael. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Take care. Right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.